Hey, everybody. Come on in. Come on in. Uh, get comfortable. And we are about to get started right now. I am excited. I have my Dr. Claude Anderson book nearby. Here we go. The Black History Reader. And we're going to get smart today. We're going to read and we're going to learn and we're going to become blacker and better. And, uh, you know, they said the black of the berry, the sweet of the juice. So we're going we're gonna to be real sweet by the time we're done with this uh, conversation. There's a whole lot uh, that I want to share with you tonight. And uh, we are going to cover it all. And, uh, and so I want to say hello to everybody. And uh, give me one second. I'm going to uh, take a look at your uh, who's here in one minute. Give me a second here. Uh, uh, okay. You know what I wanted to, uh, what was on my mind today is I was thinking about uh, Jonathan Majors and uh, that comment he made. I, I, I'm thinking it's appropriate because, you know, we're covering, you know, black historical topics. And I was thinking about when Jonathan Majors made that comment about how he wanted his uh, white girlfriend to behave like Coretta Scott King, which had to be the funniest comment that I've heard in a while. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, I don't know about y'all, but I found that kind of strange because, you know, when, when you, first of all, she's white. And I think that's hilarious. That's like asking, you know, Walmart to become Wakanda. That's what I, I, I mentioned that on Twitter. I said, you can't tell Walmart to become Wakanda. Walmart is Walmart. It's not going to be Wakanda. But then also, you know, if, if, if she's Coretta, then that would make you Martin. So I thought that maybe a good fun place to start the conversation today would be to sort of really explain, like sort of think for one second. Before we read, we're going to read the book. We're going to read about the 14th Amendment today and voting rights, which I think is really important uh, going into this next election. But my Lord, this uh, this whole idea of of people wanting to compare themselves to uh, people who made real sacrifices. I think that's a real issue uh, in terms of how maybe sometimes we glorify what people have done and we romanticize it. And you don't understand how much hard work is required in order to to do that. And uh, I think making these false equivalencies is kind of crazy. And so uh, anyway, before I get started, though, I want to say hi to I got I'm still getting my glasses prescription refilled. So I got to take my glasses off to see your names here. All right, so let me see the names I see. I see Anya and, oh, Anya Juan Risco. Good to see you, Anya. Patricia Jones out of Newark, New Jersey. Uh, Diana Parker, good to see you. Ruffin' Cat, Maryland in the house. Good to see you. Thank you so much for coming by. Uh, let's see, Seattle. Miss Khabibi, how you doing, Miss Khabibi? So good to see you. I met Khabibi out in Seattle. First of all, Seattle has turned into a complete mess. I don't know what's going on with Y'all, y'all's politicians need to do better for y'all. But second of all, let me just tell you, Black Seattle has some really cool people there and they got it going on. And I loved my trip there. So thank you for hosting me. I, I had a wonderful time. Uh, Justin Pender, I uh, see you, Ryan Jackson. Go Michigan. Yeah, national champs. Congratulations. Now, you know, you and I both know a secret though, Ryan. Do you know what the secret is? You, you know that if Georgia had been in that game, 
there would have probably been a different national champion. That's I'm going to just, just have to break that to you. If Georgia had been there. Now, Ohio State, you beat us. You beat us fair and square. Georgia, I think that might have turned out a little bit different. But then I'm just being a jealous hater. That's what that's what I'm being. That's I'm just being jealous right now, Ryan. Congratulations. They 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 played a great game. I was really impressed. All right. So anyway, let me let me jump back to it. If y'all don't follow football, that's a insider football thing. All right. So so let let's talk about this whole thing. Uh, so Jonathan Majors had has had this girlfriend, and y'all y'all remember what happened? Uh, where uh, he's pretty much lost probably about a billion dollars in black wealth uh, because he made a bad relationship choice. Uh, you know, you can't blame him entirely. I mean, we all made bad choices when we're young. Unfortunately, his choice is going to cost him extensively, and uh, he's going through his trial right now. He's under the uh, the the crazy. Uh, situation of sort of being a black man that's been accused of harming a white woman. And, 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 and if you've been uh, doing this book club with us for a while, we're reading Dr. Claude Anderson books every week, you know that uh, the worst thing that could happen to a black man is to be accused of a crime by a white woman. In fact, if you remember last week, we were reading about how black people would go to jail for doing trivial things in front of white people, like counting change in front of white people, you would go to jail for that. Did y'all do y'all remember that? How many of y'all remember that? Uh, if you were counting change in front of white people, if you looked white people in the eye, you would go to jail. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? If you took if you if you talked to a white person and didn't take off your hat, you would go to jail for that. And 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 also, Doctor Anderson went out of his way to admit this. This man's a national treasure. We know this. Uh, he also mentioned that if you um, if a white person accused you of anything, you were done. You were you were French toast. You were you were fried. You 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 know you weren't. You had no defense. So this is important to understand. Not just because this is your history. This is this is what your loved ones went through. But also, we should understand this in, as we get approach the reparations debate. Uh, the reparations debate is all about lost wealth. Well, where do you think that the wealth went? Well, let me tell you what. Let me tell you a, a, a common scenario. This happened in my family. This happened in my family. So if it happened in my family, I know it happened in thousands of other families. Well, uh, I had a great, 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 great uncle or something like on my paternal side, great, great, great grand something. And uh, he had a lot of money, a lot of wealth. White folks got jealous and they accused him of a crime, sent him to jail and took all his stuff. That that was uh, we found that out when we did some research. Uh, and, and I could keep going. I could talk to you about my great, great, great grandfather who uh, had whose wife was disrespected by a white man. Uh, he stood up to the white man. But unfortunately, it was the early part of the 20th century and they lynched him in Alabama for that. So so these are the things that happened, you know, to us. Uh, much of this will never be reported or documented. But this helps you understand the big murder mystery or the big the big um, whodunit of reparations, the whodunit of black history. And the whodunit is like, why? How do we wake up in this world? How do we just arrive in this world? Like, you know, a child is born with no state of mind, blind to the ways of mankind. So you come into the world. And you look around and everything is owned by white people and nothing is owned by black people. I could, I go to downtown Chicago. There's thousands of buildings in downtown Chicago worth over a hundred million dollars. Not one of those buildings is owned by black people. All of them are owned by white people. You had to have stolen all that stuff because we did all the work. How the hell you got, how, how did, how is it that we did all the work and you got all the stuff? 
Well, you, you stole the stuff. And I don't know why we are too afraid to talk about this. I think that we have to, if, if you don't, if you don't stick with the issue, then the politicians are not going to stick with the issue. They're going to forget. So, so, or, or they're going to conveniently forget. So going back to uh, Jonathan Majors and this whole comment about uh, wanting his, um, you know, his milk of magnesia to be a, um, you know, to be a, uh, to be a Coretta Scott King or something. Um, first of all, obviously she, that would just be hard for her to do. She's melanin deficient. It's not any fault of her own, but, uh, but then also uh, to make this equivalency that you are Martin Luther King is, is a bit of a problem, right? Um, if you want to know what the real Coretta and the real Martin look like, that's what they look like. There's, there's the real Coretta, there's the real Martin. And uh, and let's sort of do some parallels here. So so then Jonathan goes and he uh, forms a relationship with an actress, Megan Good. And so he then says, she was my Coretta. This is my new Coretta. And again, Megan Good is a great actress. She's a I'm sure she's a very nice lady. But I think that we have to make sure we understand the distinction between Martin and, and Coretta versus Jonathan and uh, Megan or Jonathan and the white lady, Grace. Um so so let's process this for a moment. Okay, so let's look at Coretta in terms of the sacrifice she made to be Martin Luther King's wife. Uh, you are getting you're you're getting constant death threats. You are a widow and your children don't have a father, which is really it's kind of crazy though that now we live in a world where that's become normalized. Now 76% of all black children don't have a father. So maybe all, all of y'all black women are Coretta's now. Maybe 76% of black women have become Coretta. I, I don't know how to process that. But, uh, you know, they, they, she made a real sacrifice to be the, to be the real Coretta. Martin uh, was not an actor. Um, Jonathan Majors, if you notice, Jonathan Majors is a very good actor. And actors are people who pretend. The actors, they, they fake things. They, they, they're, they're, what they're doing isn't real. Well, Martin Luther King couldn't fake it. He couldn't pretend to be brave and courageous. He he didn't he didn't pretend to put his life on the line. He really he really had to show up in that in that casket after they shot him for what he did. The odds of Jonathan Majors being shot because he was in an Ant-Man movie are slim to none. I don't think anybody would shoot Jonathan Majors because he was in a Disney film and nor would Megan Good's house get bombed because she's dating an actor and trying to get into movies herself or working with Tyler Perry or something. And so so really, the reason I brought this up is because every Wednesday when we're talking about Black history, I think it's very important to kind of talk about these things and connect it to the present, but then also to really sort of speak to this idea that somehow because we get into this celebrity worship, we end up doing something Malcolm X used to say was highly inappropriate. What he said is that black people have a habit of taking entertainers and making entertainers into civil rights leaders. We we will find somebody who is, uh, can you all hear me? Let me know if you can hear me okay. Let me know if you can hear me. I'm gonna turn up, I'm gonna try to I'm trying to turn my volume up. Can y'all hear me okay? Okay, I see Khabibi says no. Okay, can y'all can everybody okay? I'm sorry, Khabibi, you might have to turn your uh your laptop up because I'm getting a whole lot of yeses. Uh, Tamika and Wanda and Akila. Okay, so I'm gonna assume that that you can hear me. So uh, Khabibi, you might want to turn your mic up. Uh, all right. So, 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 so the thing to me is 
that when you're really talking about uh, what it means to lead a community, one of the things that I think really has to happen is I think we have to be really careful about giving entertainers the credit that they deserve. If they if, if somebody's in your favorite movie or they made an album that you like or somebody plays basketball really well and you appreciate that, then by all means, they, they deserve all that credit. You know, they deserve Oscars and and, and, and Grammys and, and all these other, you know, meaningless awards that white people like to give to their to their favorite uh, entertainers. But that does not make that person into a civil rights leader. And Mar and Malcolm X used to say that, too. He used to say he said, you're picking all these entertainers and he called them clowns. He said, you're grabbing all these clowns and you're trying to make uh, clowns into black leaders. And and that's just not appropriate, you know. Like John, there there's nothing, you know. And I, and I think people get this, right? A lot of people have already talked about this a little bit. And I just want to make sure that I I throw a, a two cents into the conversation to say that you know maybe Jonathan needs to be educated to know. Look, buddy, you, you're not Martin Luther King. You're not, you know, your your white girl. She's not Coretta. The black girl you're dating is not Coretta, but she's Megan, and 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 Coretta's not Megan, right? So. So that's okay. It's okay for her to be Megan. And uh, and so so also, I think, generally speaking, though, uh, to, to be more optimistic in the conversation, um, the way Megan kind of is covering for uh, Jonathan, right, in his difficult trial, because we were talking about this last week, how black people could literally go to jail for almost anything when it came to a white person, anything you were accused of, you look at a white person funny, you, 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 you call them a name, you, you, you know, you, you, uh, you count change in front of a white person, you could go to jail, right? We talked about that. So given that John is going through this and Megan is showing up to court with him and providing that aesthetic to try to make him not look like an abuser, this to me is also historical in the sense that uh, I, I try to remind black men that black women have been protecting you since slavery, that black women were the ones who fed you when you were hungry. They took care of you when nobody wanted you. Uh, you know, maybe you become a celebrity and now you get to go date a Kardashian. But uh, I did tell Kanye West directly when I talked to him, I said, I never would have dated a Kardashian. I have no idea. I don't understand that world. I think that that you're putting your, you put yourself in danger. I don't I don't understand any of that. And uh, and so really, I think at the end of the day, it's important that we acknowledge what black women have done for black men historically uh, without necessarily, we don't have to tell any lies. We don't have to put anybody on a pedestal that doesn't deserve it. But I really think that that just sort of gets forgotten. And also uh, what was interesting to me is how, you know, it's like the black woman kind of becomes the last resort. You know, it's uh, it's sort of like when you're doing well and you're high and mighty uh, and, and, you know, you're OJ Simpson and you're on top of the world, uh, then black women don't matter to you. But when you are fighting for your life about to go to jail, or whatever it is, then suddenly, you know, you got this black woman by your side because nobody else will have you. The people that you claim to love you have now rejected you. And when they reject you, they reject you hard. Uh, when Bill Cosby was on top of the world, he spent a lot of time around white folks. He didn't, you know, he he, he really had lost his, um, uh, some of his support amongst the black community. He kind of gained a type of arrogance. But then when things really hit the fan, if you if you remember, the women that were the most consistent in terms of dealing with him was his wife, Camille, and uh, also Felicia Rashad. Felicia Rashad took heat at Howard because she did not uh, disown Bill Cosby. 
she was able to understand the uh, complexities of his legacy. She was able to, to see what I think a lot of us see that Bill Cosby might be, he's either a good man that did some bad things, or maybe he's a bad man that did some good things, but we see the good and the bad. We don't just see the one thing that he's being condemned for. I, I don't think most black people I know are not looking to just obliterate the man's legacy and everything he did. Like we don't forget that he gave $20 million to Spellman when nobody else would. We don't forget about the millions of dollars he gave to black schools and all that. We don't forget about the fact that he made Fat, Fat Albert as a show when he didn't have to. He did it uh, as part of his doctoral dissertation because he felt like black children needed to be educated. Surprise, surprise. Most of your celebrities are not educating black children. They don't give a damn about black children. They're not even thinking about black children. They think it's radical to even bring up black children. So so Cosby did this, right? So so you know, does that mean that uh that 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 we can also account for whatever him and Hugh Hefner did in the bedroom, which by the way, it's interesting that Hugh Hefner got a, he died and got away with a whole lot and uh and when my wife and I were in California, we were riding in the car with this white guy named David and David was an OG. He was probably about 70. And he uh, he drove Hugh Hefner and he drove Cosby a lot. And he said, what Hefner did was 100 times worse than what Cosby did. He said, he said I, I didn't see anything that happened with Cosby. But I saw a whole lot with Hugh Hefner. I picked up both of those guys. And uh, and he said, also, I knew a lot of the people that were in those documentaries. And and I know he, he said he sounded like a guy who knew where all the bodies were buried. He was a white guy. And, uh, and and it wasn't like we sat around talking about how Bill Cosby was some sort of an angel, but he didn't understand the differential. Now, we understood it. We said, yeah, he's black. I mean, that's that's life. And, and he made some I think he made some mistakes. So my point is to say that uh, I, I kind of just don't understand that. I don't understand the the part of our culture that turns to black women when the shit hits the fan and everything falls apart and the roof is caving in. But when you're doing well you kind of want to go and wander and do other things. And I think Jonathan Majors, it's going to cost him a billion dollars in family wealth because it's going to cost him at least a hundred million dollars in opportunities. Marvel's pretty much kicked him to the curb. Disney cannot be associated with a man who's even been accused of any form of domestic violence. Uh, so he's been kicked to the curb and uh, that hundred million dollars had it been invested properly would have turned into a billion. Uh, so that's just what it is. There's nothing else to say about it. It's, that's just life. Uh, one little thing I want to mention to you all as well, uh, before we start reading, we're reading Dr. Claude Anderson's book, The Black History Reader, which you can find at powernomics.com, um, is uh, Bitcoin. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but big, there were some big developments in Bitcoin. Uh, I'm going to just say this. I'm not telling. This is not investing advice. I can't predict the future, but um, I have every reason to believe that the price of Bitcoin is going to keep going up. I cannot promise this, though. So if it doesn't happen, don't come back and say, you told me to. No, there's no guarantees in investing. All investment involves risk. Give me a yes if you understand this. I, I have to triple do this because 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 I, I've had people get confused before. So I want to make sure you understand that there's always risk. If you're a basketball player, sometimes the shot doesn't go in. But Bitcoin, if it were to use a basketball analogy, Bitcoin is like a layup. <laughs> Bitcoin. If you've been following Bitcoin, has anybody does anybody own any Bitcoin? I, I hope somebody. I hope somebody gives me a yes because I'm I'm just having a party over here, enjoying watching the rise of Bitcoin. It's been amazing, and uh, and today the Bitcoin spot ETF was just passed 
And that's massive. That's massively huge because that's literally what all the experts have been waiting for. They've been waiting. They've been like, oh, when are they going to pass the spot ETF? And the, and the reason that that's important is because the ETF, the exchange traded fund, is where they allow you to invest in this fund instead of buying Bitcoin directly. So what they believe that is going to occur is that it's going to increase the demand for Bitcoin from institutional investors. All these institutional investors are going to create these Bitcoin spot ETFs. That is, so when the demand goes up, but the supply remains pretty static, the price tends to go up. So let me show you on the screen. I know normally in our book club meetings, we don't talk about stock stuff. We're actually doing our um, our, our, our financial reflections uh, tomorrow morning. So if you want to join us for financial consciousness class, uh, you can sign up at drboyceelevate.com. We're, we're on day 11. We're doing 30 straight days of financial consciousness. So uh, everything's recorded. So you can go to drboyceelevate.com if you'd like to join us tomorrow. Uh, but here's Bitcoin, right? So today, uh, it's it's pretty flat today. It's gone. It went down slightly. But look at the last five days, 6% up, go up the last month, 13%. The last six months, 52%. Look at that. Do y'all see this? Uh, here. Uh, now, I see Amani. You raised your hand. Amani Walker. Am By the way, Amani's on our team. Uh, I didn't know I didn't know Amani was here. Everybody say hi to Amani. Amani, is there something I'm missing? Is, is there something I need to – I saw you raise your hand. Hope, let me know. Amani, Amani's one of my team members. When, when, the when my team members talk, I listen. Okay, yeah, let me know if I missed something, Imani, because I don't want to. Did y'all see that screen? Were y'all able to see the screen? But yeah, say hi to Imani. Imani is uh, one of us. She's worked with us for probably about six years now. And uh, a lot of our team members in the Black Business School have been with us for years. All right, so here is uh, year to date. Uh, oh, this is, the, but it's early in the year. So let's look at the last year. Bitcoin's gone up 160%. 160%. Look at the last five years, 1,188%. So this is uh, people getting rich in broad daylight. People making money right in front of you, money growing just right there. Doesn't require like any work, just requires consistent investment. And it requires you to ignore stuff like this, like these dips. These dips scare people, but you see what the overall effect has been. It's been pretty massive. Uh, right now, Bitcoin's at 46,000. The estimates that I've seen from experts are saying that Bitcoin could be as high as 150,000 in the next year. Uh, again, no guarantees, but this is what they're saying. Also, there is there are some that believe that Bitcoin could be as high as a million in the next five years. No guarantees, but I want to be there when the party happens. So uh, if you want to know what I'm invested in, it's Bitcoin. And uh, and if you want to know some of the st other stuff that I'm buying, uh, don't forget to text the word stock to 87948. Uh, if you text the word stock to 87948, I'll send you profit alerts on stocks that I like and things like that. I was given the wrong number before. I said 897. I meant to say 879. So 87948. So if you uh, text the word stock to 87948, uh, you can get the profit alerts. Uh, how much does Bitcoin's, Bitcoin cost, Khabibi? You could buy you could buy Bitcoin for any price. You could buy it like, think of a, a Bitcoin as a big $46,000 cake, but you don't have to buy the whole cake. You could buy a little slice of the cake. So you could buy $10 worth of cake. Right. So so buying ten dollars with the Bitcoin, one hundred dollars with the Bitcoin, whatever, if the price goes up, you end up making money and uh, the value of your asset goes up. All right. So let's start reading here. All right. So now that we know that uh, that uh, Jonathan Majors is not dating Coretta Scott King, uh, the poor guy, he needs to get unconfused. Let's do some black history. So maybe if Jonathan Majors sees our conversation, he can learn exactly how much danger he put himself into. Uh, by even involving himself in that situation uh, before. So uh, we're on page 64 
of the book, The Black History Reader. You can get copies of this book by Dr. Claude Anderson by going to poweronomics.com. Uh, you text stock, though, uh, somebody type that in for uh, Tanya. Text the word stock to 87948. Text stock to 87948. So write it down or pull out your phone and text it real quick. So if you text the word stock to 87948, I'll send you. A lot of resources. I'll send you a list of AI stocks that I like. I'll send you a $5 a day investing plan. I'll also send you a training that we have on how to make money without working. Okay, so, <clears throat> all right. So uh, question 20 in the Black History Reader on page 64, uh, which you can find at powernomics.com, says, believe it or not, Black Americans are the only citizens for whom the U.S. Congress enacted specific laws that assure Black citizens could vote and impose punishments on states if those voting rights interfered with or abridged. This is important because the election's coming up next year, and, and it's important that you get fully informed so you can make the best decision for your family. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, uh, so so that don't, don't expect that from me. I'm not going to do that. All right. So, so it says the 14th Amendment provided safeguards to black voting rights. So this is important. I, I, I don't know how many of you have paid attention to the 14th Amendment, but according to Dr. Anderson, Section 2 of the 14th Amendment is extremely important uh, in terms of protecting your rights. Uh, and he's talked about this. I, I talked to, whenever, when I talked to him on the phone, many times he's brought up the 14th Amendment. So let's read this and let's try to understand why this section two of the 14th Amendment is what he calls the nuclear option for black people. So it says here, section two of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says, when the right to vote at any election for the choice of electors for president or vice president of the United States, representatives in Congress, the executive and judicial officers of the state, or the members of the legislature thereof is denied to any black male inhabitants of such state being 21 years of age and citizens of the United States or in any way are abridged, the basis of representation therein shall be reduced in the proportion which the number of such male citizens shall bear to the whole number of male citizens 21 years of age in such state. Did that make y'all's head spin? Did that, I, are y'all as confused as I was first time I read it? Did anybody? Anybody else? Yeah, it's like, wait, what? Huh? What? So thank, thank goodness, Dr. Anderson, a bit, the smart man that he is, he provides an immediate interpretation. So let's see what this means, because he says it's important. He says, this provision means that a state in which there were efforts to suppress the black vote would lose elected representation in national, state, and local elections. So if they suppress the black vote, then their proportion of representation goes away. The whole state would be punished. I didn't know that, did y'all? Black voters have been intimidated, harassed, denied the right, and even killed to prevent them from voting. They have marched, protested, and filed lawsuits, but in over a century, this provision has never been used, and no state has ever suffered any consequences. I call this provision of the 14th Amendment a nuclear option because while it would require a complex mathematical formula to implement, it would provide such a powerful punishment tool that once used, voter suppression would stop. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't didn't know we had this. This is good. Okay. So reading the Constitution is a good thing. All right. So he says here that blacks are this nation's only planned minority. We're the only group that was a planned minority. Whites outnumber black voters nine to one. 
No other population group has been continuously harassed and denied voting rights. Free white male citizens over 21 years of age have always had the right to vote. So have white female property, property owners. Even white females who did not own property were allowed to vote with the enactment of the 19th Amendment in 1919, which, by the way, did not grant the same unfettered voting rights to black female voters. Did y'all know that? So women's suffrage did not include black women, it included white women. Section 2 of the 14th Amendment should have been a tool to prevent the actions of white conservatives or extra-legal groups such as the KKK who sought to deny the black vote regardless of gender. The haunting question then is, why hasn't this option ever been used? I'm curious too. Did blacks not know about this provision? Did they know about it yet choose not to invoke it because they feared repercussions from whites? Do conservative whites know about this provision? If so, why would they risk the consequences of losing elected representation? For 150 years, conservative whites have employed intense efforts to suppress black votes. When blacks are a planned minority and make up only 12% of the population, why do whites continue their efforts? If every black man, woman, and child could vote, which is not even possible, the maximum voting impact of the group could not exceed 12%. Do conservative political forces engage in various superficial voter suppression schemes simply to deflect the attention of blacks away from substantive issues such as the Constitution's social construct on race or the historical maldistribution of nearly 100% of this nation's resources away from blacks. Blacks have put aggressive effort into voting activities, registration, getting out the vote, enthusiastically supporting candidates who promise them nothing, but they never exercised the nuclear option of the 14th Amendment to secure their right to vote. Black voters should replace marching, praying, and begging for the right to vote with understanding, planning, and using Section 2 of the 14th Amendment. If blacks could get the nation's attention by using the, the nuclear option, they could then redirect their own focus from voting to the more fundamental issues of economics and demand corrections. Those demands could include reform to immigration policies to reduce the harm it causes to native blacks, industrialization of black urban areas, for building functional schools for blacks, enforcing the 1866 Indian treaties, and providing reparations in some form. The nuclear option in voting could be used as leverage to correct other structural issues as well. So this is interesting. I haven't seen this before. So it seems like Dr. Anderson's saying that maybe instead of actually using that option to basically tell a state that allowed the, the suppression of black votes, that they won't get representation, He's saying use that as a bargaining chip to get other things done, right? And and the truth of the matter is that uh, when you are as loyal as we are, uh, loyal to politicians, and and everyone tries to scare you. I think I I think I saw Michelle Obama giving an interview, and she was talking about how she's scared to death of the next election and stuff like that. So they they, they just just pay attention to the amount of times they use fear to get you to do things, right? And the reason they do that is because studies show that people act people are more likely to act based on fear. Uh, corporations use it to get you to buy things, and also politicians use it to get you to vote. Uh, newspapers use fear to get you to open uh, to open the newspaper and to read the newspaper. They that's why they have that saying: "If it bleeds, it leads." So the manipulation of black trauma is a multi-billion-dollar industry. So effectively, uh, again, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I never do that. You know this, but I do know that uh, if I whoever you vote for, I would say try not to do it out of fear. Um, because I sat through four years of a Trump presidency, 
I survived. I sat through four years of a Biden presidency. I survived. Whatever the next presidency looks like, I'm sure we can sit through four years of that and survive, right? So so this idea that somehow this is always going to be different, this is something they've been doing for 20 or 30 years. All right, so what I want to do is I'm going to jump through to question number 21. And uh, Dr. Anderson says here, does the U.S. Con Supreme Court have the constitutional power to overrule Congress in black civil rights issues? So this is a, an interesting political question. I don't know. Let's see. The U.S. Supreme Court does not actually have the right to override actions by the U.S. Congress in black civil rights matters or other provisions intended by Congress to protect, protect vulnerable and impoverished black ex-slaves. The U.S. Congress defines the task of the U.S. Supreme Court as threefold. One, to decide appeals from trials held in lower courts. Two, to get involved in the appointment of ambassadors. And, uh, and finally, three, to rule in cases in which the federal official failed to carry out his duties. Nowhere does the U.S. Constitution authorize the Supreme Court to overrule or second-guess Congress or act in a, as a third level of government. Congress passed laws regarding slavery, the former slaves, and race. However, the U.S. Supreme Court has been rendering decisions on race, mostly anti-Black, for centuries. The court invented its authority to overrule the U.S. Congress over 200 years ago. Surprisingly, there have not been any legal challenges to the court's assumed authority in race matters. So he's saying the Supreme Court has never been your friend, basically. The first time the court assumed authority to rule on acts of Congress was in the year 1803 in Marbury versus Madison. In this landmark case, the U.S. Supreme Court overruled a law passed by Congress and declared it unconstitutional. Since then, the court has bolstered its power by promoting itself as the supreme law of the land. In the democracy of the U.S., the Supreme Court was allowed to become an unelected third branch of the government, a body of life-tenured, biased individuals who made no pretense of neutrality in race or political matters. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting, right? When you look at Clarence Thomas and his wife, there's something else. Uh, a few prominent personalities of that day did take issue with and question the court's right to assume overriding authority, but the effort eventually waned. The court and its authority came under scrutiny 54 years later when Chief Justice Roger Taney and his fellow jurists, all white, wealthy slaveholders slave and supporters of slavery, issued their infamous 1857 Dred Scott decision just three years before the beginning of the American Civil War. The legal issue was over Dred Scott, a slave, who claimed that he was free because he had traveled to a free state. The U.S. Supreme Court slaveholders ruled, quote, a black man has no rights that a white man is bound to respect. So that's what the Supreme Court said, that this is your court. This is your government. They said that a black man has no rights that a white man is bound to respect. Further, the court restated the sentiment of the Constitution that black people are property equal to field animals. And as property, the owner of the property held the rights, not the black man. So you don't have rights even to yourself. So there's a history here. What I'm interpreting here is that there is a history of other people assuming ownership of black bodies and just black people in general. They, they, they feel that they own your mind. They, they want to own your body. They want to own your labor. They want to own your free time. They want to own your athletes. And this is true to this day. Look at how much money. I saw something today. I put it on my Instagram. 
Uh, my Instagram is Dr. Boyce Finance. I hope you'll join me so that if I get into an argument with an idiot, I can have some intelligent black people around as my backup. We got to get gang affiliated up in here because I'm tired of arguing with stupid people. In fact, I, I well, I really don't argue with them. I just kind of like give them like a stupid meme or something. But anyway, uh, so there was this thing, and I'm, I'm going to pull it up here. Uh, and uh, it was all about Florida State. Okay, maybe it's not. You know what? I didn't put it on my Instagram. I put it on my Twitter. So let me let me see if I can find my Twitter. Hopefully I can. Or I guess it's called X now, whatever. All right, um, uh, let me see here. Yeah, so let me show you all this. This is this is going to trip you out. This is going to be worth the wait. And this and there's a point here. So let me pull this up. Here we go. All right, so I'm going to share my screen. And hopefully I can share it properly. Okay, wait, the screen is black. One second, everybody. I promise you, I got something for you. Okay, all right, here we go. Okay, so there's a there's a guy that um, I'm friends with named Dr. Myron Roll who played for the, uh, Florida State, and my wife got her PhD at Florida State, and I saw this uh, headline, and it was actually shared by another friend of mine, a guy named Maurice Claret. Maurice played for Ohio State uh, and won a national championship for Ohio State 20 years ago, and uh, anyway, in, in this headline, you see that Florida State, in order for Florida State to leave the ACC. They have to pay a fine or a fee of $572 million, I guess, to the previous conference or to the conference that they're leaving. So the fee for them to exit, and I have to go check to see if they actually left the ACC. Y'all have to help me. I don't keep up with the details. But I was blown away. So they're paying half a billion dollars just for the right to switch conferences, just for the right to leave a conference. And what's interesting to me is that this is – half a billion dollars in wealth that would not exist if it not were if it were not for your black athletes if it was not for black men and black women launching these superhuman black babies that can go on a football field or a basketball court and do amazing things this 572 million dollars would not exist this money's going into the hands of other communities but it's built on the backs of black athletes and so to some extent what I want you to do is I want you to really stretch your definition of systematic racism, okay? I want you to really process it a little bit on a, on a slightly different level. I want to experiment with this way of viewing systematic racism. Systematic racism could be seen as any type of system that is put in place that is designed to either oppress or control or manage Black people. Any system. Right. Any system that exists, let me know if you're following this, okay? Because I'm forming, I'm formulating this thought. This is a thought I have never shared ever in 30 years of me running my mouth. I've never shared this thought. Like this is literally God has given it to me, so I'm gonna go ahead and just let it out raw. So if I say it wrong, please forgive me. But I think that we should think about systematic racism as any system that is in existence that is designed to manage and control black resources on any level. Black people, black children, black labor, black athletes, black anything, right? It, it, a black culture, black music, right? And I want you to stop and process that for a minute, right? I want you to, like, I want us to really document this for a minute. I, let's try to write down all the systems that existed before you even got here. These were systems that were here. Like, you arrived... And it's like they were waiting for you to come out. 
Just like the master was waiting for your great, 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 great grandmother to have a baby. He she, he was excited. I can't wait till my baby gets here because it might really been his baby because, you know, a lot of raping did happen. There's a reason my wife got that Irish blood. Uh, but 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 really, so so they're waiting for the baby. Why? Well, because they got a whole system they're going to put the baby in. They like, oh, we got a whole system that's managing the baby. Just like if I got a prize racehorse or a bunch of chickens. When my chickens are hatching eggs and giving birth, I'm excited because now I've got more chickens to put in my system, which allows me to make more money. So process this for a minute. Let's lay out this for a minute. Because here, here's the thing, right? <laughs> I'm gonna. I think I'm seeing something here. We don't, we don't, we miss a lot of wealth because we don't raise our kids to build systems. We don't, we don't think in a systematic fashion. People that have money in America tend to operate systems. Elon Musk makes a lot of money, not because he works hard. He makes money because he has a big old system, right? So I've expressed that to you in our, in our Black Millionaires of Tomorrow program, our, our business school for children, we teach kids how to be sturdy, sturdy spelled S-T-E-R-D-Y. And the first letter in sturdy s stands for systems your kids should learn how to manage systems because that's how you get power so process this for me let's let's lay this out let's let's finish this thought let's write down at, at least five or six systems that existed before you were born that were designed to make money off of black people we'll start with one simple one the prison system give me a yes or no does the prison system make billions of dollars off of black bodies and black labor. Yes or no? <laughs> they, got, they got your uncle, your uncle being locked up for 25 years working for $2 a day doing a $30 an hour job, right? Okay, number two, uh, the educational system. Uh, do public schools, let's talk specifically public schools, do public schools make money from all the black children that fill up the seats? Yes or no? Are there billions of dollars that gets made, right? There's a whole industry around that. Okay, number three, uh, what's another system? Athletic systems like these little football camps that they have all across the country, right? These little football, Pop Warner, right? Football leagues, right? So, so, and then let's bulk the sports together. So, let's say football, basketball, track, everything that's designed to define the next, you know, LeBron James, the next Deion Sanders, the next Shaquille O'Neal, right? You've got entire systems out there. That's why when your, uh, your, your son, actually my wife, my wife, our, our oldest is six foot nine. And from the time he was about five, he had coaches coming up to his mama in the grocery store saying, can you bring him out for football? Can you bring him out for basketball? Right. <laughs> that literally. Uh, so, so, okay. So let's see what else. What's another system. Um, uh, uh, oh, uh, universities. Let's write that down. Student loans are one of the greatest um, obstacles to black wealth in existence because most of your educated black people default on their student loans, which ruins your credit and makes it very difficult for you to build wealth in other ways because you can't get financing now because you're, you're right. So that's big. Uh, what's another one? Let's see. Uh, entertainment, entertainment systems. There we go. We say, let's just say, let's bulk entertainment, right? That we can throw the rappers and the comedians and all that. That's another system, right? Hollywood was a system, that's designed, and, and Taraji, and uh, and you heard, saw Terrence Howard, and, and these other people, and, and Cat Williams did a great interview where he was upset about the systems, and and people that were kind of bending over for the systems, and all, right? Okay. Um. Oh, healthcare, healthcare. Yep. Yeah. Give me a yes or no. Do, do the healthcare systems make billions of dollars off black people? Anybody ever heard of Henrietta Lacks? And how much money they just? I mean, just Henrietta Lacks alone. Look at all the money they made off Henrietta Lacks, right? Systems. See, this is to, this is systematic racism. It's it's systems. 
I, I almost think of the systems like cages in a way, like the like this just this structure, like like you're being filled, you're filling in these little slots that were made for you in these systems. Uh, we could keep going, we could talk about some other systems, but we've all, we've named six right here, right? So so my point is to say, oh yeah, diabetes. Oh my God, and and you can go into what happens with food and medication and uh, during the pandemic and how many how many billions of dollars were made. I mean, we could keep on going. Religion, that's. I, 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 there's too much. This is, I'm overwhelming myself here. So forgive me. So I'm going to move forward on this, but I really want us to really broaden how we think about racism. And then as Dr. Anderson talks about, he, he, he expresses racism as systematic racism, right? Uh, that was one of the first concepts that we were introduced to in Poweronomics, where he explained that racism is not just you know, that white lady was mean to me in the grocery store. That's that, who cares? That's just bias that's she just didn't like you maybe maybe you were stinking or maybe she just doesn't like short people or something right uh but he says no think about the systematic racism that exists right systematic meaning that broad systems that are designed to oppress and stop black people from getting what we deserve and then i also want you to really process and think about how many systems were consciously created to take advantage of you and their goal in their conscious creation of these systems is to keep you as unconscious as possible. So when a conscious black man or black woman comes along and says, look at all these systems, look at all, look at all these things they're doing to us, that you're seen as being very dangerous because you understand how the cage is built. And, and so so to some extent, this is why I'm, I'm actually, this makes me proud. I'm glad we're doing, if you want to join us tomorrow, we do, we do financial consciousness every morning. Uh, we're doing it for 30 days, though. It's a 30-day class. So feel free to join us tomorrow. You can go to drboyceelevate.com if you'd like to join us. And all the recordings are there, and you can have it for life. Um, bring your whole family. Like, if you pay one for one person, you can bring everybody. Um, but 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 really, this, this consciousness is extremely important because if I never become conscious, then to some extent, I operate like an animal in a cage, right? An animal in a cage just sits in the cage. They eat what they're fed. They just do what they think that they're allowed to do. They never sit around and say, I wonder what it's like to be outside of the cage or I need to get out of here. Right. They don't they don't say that. Right. So so ultimately um, that consciousness is really important because when you're not conscious, conscious, that's how they can extract things from you. Just no differently from somebody giving you a date rape drug or something, God forbid, right? They they think about this, you're unconscious, so they can take things from you, some things that money can't buy, right? Which has happened to a lot of people and it's terrible, right? But I think the same thing happens all through society. I think that there is a reason why black, true black consciousness is very, very dangerous. And, uh, and I encourage you to be conscious. And then what's going to happen when you become conscious is number one, you're going to lose a lot of friends because we have a lot of zombies kind of roaming around here who don't want to understand what's going on or think you think you're radical and crazy for thinking this way. And then also you're going to be mad a lot. And uh, like I, I end up mad. Like I can't, I get offended when you insult my intelligence and try to get me to do something stupid. Uh, I, I didn't even mention the political systems, right, that uh, extract our votes and don't even give us anything. Right. So when I show up and I say, man, I'm not voting for you unless you give me something like I'm, I'm consciously going to give you my vote. I'm thinking about where I'm giving my vote. Um, that makes you a troublemaker. Or if you but if you think about money, even with money, if you consciously choose 
where to share your money, then you are able to harness the power that comes from the black dollar or, or your body when it comes to even sleeping with people. Like some people sleep, they, they're unconscious about the power of sex and love and reproduction. So they're unconsciously laying down with any Tom, Dick and Harry. But imagine the opposite. If you're consciously deciding carefully, thinking carefully about who you're going to share your seed with, what who you're going to let into your bed, well, you're going to have better outcomes for yourself and you reduce the risk of exploitation. So generally speaking, I'm starting to see the game a little bit that literally in this world, I think you just have different types, different groups of people. You have those that are playing chess, those that are playing checkers, and I, I really hope that you're going to play chess when it comes to your life. I really want you to have whatever is best for you uh, when it comes to your money, your health, your happiness, your relationships, your family, all this stuff. And I think being very conscious about things like like and when I think about consciousness, I'm thinking about even basic things like just sitting and thinking and meditating and processing and looking around and questioning everything. That's consciousness to me. Right. And I can tell you when I'm more conscious about my life. I'm able to figure out who I am and what's going to make me happy and what's going to work for me, right? Like, like I told you that I discovered in the last five years that the black family is that multi-million dollar asset that has been unconsciously stolen from you. I sat there and I was talking to somebody about, I forgot who I was talking to. I think I was talking to the Uber driver about it. I'm, I I took a trip today and I'm, I was in the Uber truck with this, with this guy. He was a white guy and he was talking about his brother and his brother helped him to, in his accident. And, everything. and I was really just talking and I was talking about how great I was like, oh yeah, your brother, that's such a, like, it's so great to have somebody that loves you unconditionally and that has your back. My brother did that for me, blah, blah, blah. Right. And what I was referencing in my head is, and I think I said this point to him, I said, if I could do it over again, man, you know what I would have done? I would have had, instead of having like one sibling, I, I wish I could have had like 10, 10 really smart siblings where we're all on the same page, all working together. You wouldn't be able to stop us from doing nothing. Or if I was to have kids and I was 22, I would go have a whole bunch of kids and I would consciously manage my kids, right? Because, because by consciously managing those kids and getting them on the same page and getting us all working together, we would create like this awesome little gang that could go through the world and kind of do whatever we wanted. And you see this happen sometimes. I told you all the story of the Rothschild family. The Rothschild family was a function of conscious rearing of children. The first Rothschild, before they became one of the most powerful families on earth, he consciously told his sons, we're going to go conquer this thing. You're going to go to Switzerland. You're going to go to England. You're going to go to France. They're all in Europe. And they, they set up this Rothschild name all throughout the world. Now everybody says the word Rothschild and we, uh, these conspiracy theories come up because they consciously, they consciously develop a, a certain kind of infrastructure. Uh, uh, Bernard Arnault, the richest man in the world, he consciously manages his children. He has seven kids and all of his children are all going to take some part of his empire. The, the Louis, uh, Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy empire. His daughter's going to run Tiffany. His son's going to run uh, Moet. His, his other son's running Louis Vuitton. Whatever. I don't know. It's something like that. And what he does is he consciously meets with his children like a business meeting once a month to develop a system to keep power in that family. You understand? Uh, I can keep going. Um, uh, there's another, there's a brother. Um, oh gosh. Uh, John Boyd, John Boyd, his family. Uh, he's the father of Victory Boyd. Victory Boyd, you, you might know her. If you went to the All Black National Convention, you saw Victory perform. Uh, Victory and her whole family. They have a group called Infinity Song and they're extremely good. They're extremely popular now. We knew them before they blew up. And so they still come to the convention. They're really awesome. 
And uh, and in fact, Victory, you got to go check her out. Like, you got to check out the whole family. Victory's so good that when she sang for Jay-Z, he signed her on the spot. But her father is very conscious, and they're very deliberate and intentional about structuring their family. So as a result, <clears throat> he's got all these kids that are basically like the new Jackson 5. <laughs> and by harnessing and consciously managing the children and not letting his kids kind of just go in any direction willy-nilly, they they become this force. They're now these international superstars that are hanging out with people like Adele and stuff like that, right? And all this started with uh, the father creating a system that was stronger than the government. Because that's what they do. They replace the father and the, and the mother. They replace the family with the government. So, so to some extent, I think you're you when you're talking about consciously raising kids or consciously running your household, you're in competition with these other systems that are looking to extract something from your family. The corporate plantation. We didn't even talk about. Did we put? We didn't put. Oh my God! We didn't even write the economic system down. That was that. Oh, that's an easy one. Let me write. That's number eight. So here are all the systems that were on this list. These are all systems that are designed to manage black people, black resources, black labor, black everything, right? Uh, the prison system, the educational system, uh, the athletic system, universities, entertainment systems, healthcare systems, political systems, and economic systems where most of you, uh, many of us were raised to send our children to work for a corporation and spend 100,000 hours on the corporate plantation. Do you understand how much of a contribution you're making to white people when you invest 100,000 hours of your life doing the same thing? Like, like I need you to, I want you to really process that. Imagine, think about how good you'd be at basketball if you spent 100,000 hours playing basketball, or how good you'd be at, I don't know, writing or or whatever, like in, think about anything. If you spend a hundred thousand hours doing something, how good you'd be at it. So, 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 where do I get that number from? Well, if you work forty hours a week, which we're trained to do, uh, forty hours a week for fifty weeks a year—that's two thousand hours a, a year. Two thousand times ten over a decade—that's twenty thousand hours. Uh, most of us work fifty years. We don't work forty. Work about fifty years uh, from say age twenty to age seventy. So 50 times uh, 20, that's 100,000. So it's 100,000 hours. Now, I want you to imagine that that 100,000 hours uh, has a value of $40 an hour. It's probably worth more because many of you are getting paid more than $40 an hour. And if you're getting paid $40 an hour, that means they're making about $80 or $90 an hour. But let's be conservative. Let's assume it's $40 an hour. So if I want to figure out what this 100,000 hours uh, is worth in terms of a contribution and an investment, then I would add a zero and uh, and then there's a four. So I've given, and, and I don't know why this morning I was I was talking about it and I said, I said something in the trillions or something. Oh, I know why, I know why. I, I, let me, I'll explain. Okay, so that's every person, every black person who works for white people their entire life is making a $4 million contribution to white institutions. Now, then I, well, here's what I want you to do. This is going to really freak you out. There's what, about 40 million black people right? So imagine all 40 million of us each making a $4 million donation to white supremacy. Do, do, are you following? Let me know if you're following this. So each person, Tamika and Ray and Regina uh, and Patricia, all of you are giving $4 million a piece. There's 40 million of us. I know all of us don't end up working for white people, but let's just make the math easy. Uh, so what's four, let's see. So 4 million, so you got 4 million 
times 40 million. So that would be 4 million. Let me add another set of millions on here, which is a crazy number. That's already 4 trillion. So that's $40 trillion in labor, resources, wealth, whatever, over the course of one generation, right? So let's chop the number into by five just to make it seem more reasonable. So we're making a contribution at least of about $8 trillion, eight to $10 trillion every generation to the wealth of white people. And, 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 and it's so interesting to me how we can work that hard for that long and then many of us die with less wealth than we had when we got here. The game's not supposed to work that way, right? But it is supposed to work that way, right? If you know what I mean. It ain't supposed to do that, but it is supposed to do that. So, so I encourage you to be conscious about it, so they don't, so they don't get you. Okay, all right. So, uh, so let me, uh, let me read a little bit more of this, and we can, um, you know, actually, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to. Yeah, let me let's keep, let's just keep reading here this part about the Supreme Court, and then uh, we'll pick up from uh, the next section next time. And by the way, you can get Dr. Anderson's books at powernomics.com. So I hope you you will go and support him. He's a great man. Uh, also, my book, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, you can find that at drboycebooks.com. It's also on Amazon. And a lot of you wanted me to put my books on Audible, so a lot of my books are on Audible now. Black American Money. I have a whole series called Black American Money. A whole series called The New Black Power. And also, if you go to drboycebooks.com, you can use the um, discount code book club and get 30% off anything in the store. There's also financial flashcards we have for your kids uh, to teach them wealth. Uh, we have financial workbooks. We have uh, all kinds of stuff. So feel free to go take a look at that. All right. So let me read uh, here. It says a few prominent personalities of that day did, did take issue with the question with and question the court's right to assume overriding authority, but the effort eventually waned. The court and its authority came under scrutiny 54 years later when Chief Justice Roger Taney and his fellow jurists, all white wealthy slaveholders and supporters of slavery, issued the Dred Scott decision. So we talked about that, right? Where they said that a black man has no rights that a white man is bound to respect. Further, the court restated the sentiment of the Constitution that black people are property like field animals. Right. So we talked about that. Although the conflict of interest of the justices was clear, because remember, many of them were slaveholders. So these were the people making the laws. Um, although the conflict of interest was clear and their decisions were not neutral, the Supreme Court was within the parameters of the law, because at that time, nothing within the Constitution gave rights to black people. So they did not write the Constitution with you in mind. The Dred Scott decision had far-reaching effects, and it has never been overturned. Hmm. The sentiment of that decision, that a black man has no rights, that a white man is bound to respect, Dr. Anderson repeats that a lot uh, in private conversation. He says that a lot, um, is infused in the culture. So the fact that they believe that a black man has no rights and a white man is bound to respect is infused in the culture. It's on display today in many ways, including the numerous conflicts between law enforcement and the black community. Following the Civil War of the 1860s, a number of radical Republicans who, are the, who were the liberals of the day attempted to reverse the Supreme Court's Dred Scott decision by enacting the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution and passing civil rights laws specifically to aid and protect the newly freed blacks. So all these other groups that are using your civil rights laws, these laws were not written for them. There's nothing in these civil rights laws you know, about gay people or, or women's rights or none of this. This is, this is for you. So, so let's see, it says here, on the floor of Congress, Senator Charles Sumner proclaimed slavery to be an economic issue. Hmm. And there were only two things that blacks could ever be in America. They could be slaves or they could be free. 
Pay attention now. This is big. This is what we talk about so much here. He said, so here's what he also says. He says, but they were released from slavery with nothing. Therefore, to be free at a minimum, they had to have 40 acres of land, a mule, and $100. The land, the mule, and the money were the essential tools necessary to make the economic transition from slavery to independent living. So you can't be free in America without money. That's what they're saying. If you don't have any resources in a free society, then you're not free. Every single day, your boss can say to you, well, if you don't like it here, you know you're free to go. Where are you going to go? You ain't got nothing. So when you are investing for your child, you're giving them freedom. You're giving them something that money cannot buy. I hope that I've helped you understand this. I hope you get where I'm coming from. You have to build some asset base for these kids. Don't send them out there with nothing or you're selling them. You're selling them like 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 you're trafficking children. You're trafficking your own kids. Stop trafficking your children. Invest for them. Leave them something. Go talk to the insurance agent. Make, do what you got to do. Just make sure they got something to work with. The land, the mule, and the money were the essential tools to make the economic transition uh, to, from slavery to independent living. Without all three, the slaves would always be in some form of enslavement. The radical Republicans en en enacted the 1865 and 1866 civil rights laws to assure blacks a minimal level of economic assets. President Andrew Johnson, who replaced Abraham Lincoln after his death, vetoed both bills but was overridden by Congress on the 1866 civil rights law to ensure black civil rights, their ability had to be economically competitive with whites and to protect blacks from being re-enslaved. Radical Republicans enacted the 14th amendment to the U S constitution. The 14th amendment confirmed the citizenship of former black slaves and forbade anyone to deprive them of their rights to be treated in a manner that whites would be treated under similar circumstances. This is the equal protection and due process provision that was specifically enacted for newly freed black people. These provisions were not designed to benefit immigrants or fabricated minority classes. Whites, and other groups were granted their rights under the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Did anybody see this? Not that, not that I'm telling you how to feel about this, but I saw something today with, I don't know what's going on with the, the mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson. I, I think I saw where he, he's going to spend almost $100 million on people that are being dropped off in buses from south of the border. And the black people in Chicago are just so pissed about it. And I totally agree with them. I I, I agree a hundred percent because these are resources that they've been asking for for the longest and have never received. And somehow they just find this money for people that just got here. Um. So what's effectively going to occur is that your vote is eventually going to be diluted. It's going to be diluted. Um, all these people coming from other countries, the borders are wide open, which is a huge national security threat. Uh, eventually your vote is going to just disappear in relevance because Joe Biden can see the writing on the wall. He understands that um, that you're starting to wake up. You know, remember the conscious black man, the conscious black woman is a huge threat to uh, to their power. Uh, Charlemagne the God, I think, recently said something about not voting for Biden or Harris or something or or I, I he said something that was a threat to what they were doing. So they're seeing what's happening. So what they're preparing for, in my opinion, is they're just preparing to replace you and to dilute you and make you an irrelevant economic entity. 
The only hope you have is economics. The only hope you have is to go the pathway of Asian and Jewish communities. The Asian communities and the Jewish communities are, have become very good at building wealth and protecting their wealth. They've made wealth building part of their culture at a very high level. And that's why they're able to exert exit at outsized power relative to their numbers in the population. I'm not mad at it at all. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the way the Jewish community builds their wealth. Um, everything that you're seeing right now in terms of how they're forcing the government to give them all this money so they can go blow up, you know, parts of Palestine that's driven by their economic power. So what I would encourage you to understand is that, um, I don't really see how, as a collective, black people can do this as a group. Um, I, I just don't. I think that the brainwashing is so terrible. But I think individually as a family, I really would encourage you to really consciously see, to change your habits, to make, your, to, to make yourself right unconsciously. You have to start with conscious choices. So I encourage you to consciously reprogram your family culture to focus heavily on economics, to have economic conversations every day to learn economics when your kids are going to school and they're learning stuff, have them learn the economics first. First thing they're going to have to do when they get to be 35 is they're going to have to pay some bills. That's the first thing they're going to have to do. So uh, no, they should not be learning the periodic table before they learn how to pay some bills. They should not learn uh, Edgar Allan Poe in his poetry or whatever before they learn how to pay some bills. They should not learn European history before they learn how to pay some bills. They should learn how to pay some bills and learn how to manage a damn family. Those are the things that are going to help them survive. Uh, you know, and, and this is this is a simple idea. And um, and I hope that you'll believe me when I tell you that this is where things are going. They're really seeking to dilute you and push you out and make you irrelevant. And uh, the only way you can be relevant in this society is if you have some sort of economic foundation, some sort of economic base that at least liberates you so they can't manipulate you with money because that's what they do. They, the economic warfare has always been a thing. Um, bricks. Has anybody heard of bricks? We were talking about bricks this morning. In financial consciousness training, uh, y'all y'all know about BRICS, right? Well, BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. Well, BRICS consists of a group of countries that are not interested in being oppressed. They 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 are responding to systematic racism by forming economic coalitions with each other. That's what they're doing, you know. And uh, and some of them are not black, you know, right? Vladimir Putin, that's Russia. Uh, China is, you know, they're they're not black. But what they're basically seeing is the same, I believe, they're seeing the same white supremacy that you're seeing. And they're tired of the United States throwing around their economic weight and putting economic sanctions on every other country that that upsets them. And what they do, and that's what they do with you. They put economic sanctions on you. Cat Williams was talking about this. He just didn't know he was talking about this. What Cat Williams was saying in his whole interview this week, if you saw that, it was a really interesting interview, is that basically... Black people who think a certain way, they impose economic sanctions on them. They have systems that reject you or harm you if you get out of line. So what he's basically saying through that whole interview is that this person is successful only because they did what the system told them to do. That person is successful only because they did what the system told them to do. And what I've said is like, OK, it's time to take the next step and say, well, what does it mean to build alternative systems? But to do that, you have to have um, certain values that are not promoted as heavily, I believe, like you have to have values like delayed gratification. Uh, you have to have values like lots and lots of patience. You have to have a long-term vision. You have to have a, a bill, an ability and a willingness to sacrifice. And uh, I don't know if that is as ingrained in our culture as it should be, especially when you got guys like Jonathan Majors running around here calling himself Martin Luther King, you know, and calling his white girlfriend Coretta. 
No, Martin Luther King and Coretta were built completely different from the way an actor or actress who's getting millions of dollars to make Disney movies is going to think. So, um, so, so, so part of our wor our worship for, of celebrities is part of what harms us and keeps us from being able to really do the hard work required for us to really fortify the community. So, um, so I say subs substance over flash. That's that's the idea. It's got to be substance over flash. So let let me let's uh, let's finish up here. Um, yeah, I'm gonna stop reading. Uh, here because I feel like we've we've covered quite a bit. And and so what Dr. Anderson is definitely going to get to is the fact that they never gave you your 40 acres in the mule. And that was a travesty of justice, of course. And also, I like the fact that they make the point that in America, they can give you all the civil rights in the world. But if you don't have any economics, then your civil rights don't mean anything. So uh, I hope that that I hope that we all get that message. I hope we agree. OK. All right. So uh, so I will see you guys next week. And also tomorrow morning, we're doing financial consciousness training. If you'd like to join us, uh, just go to drboyceelevate.com. Uh, everything we've done for the first 10 days is available there. It's all recorded. If you want to get the recordings of all of these trainings that we've done, we've been doing the book club meetings for probably about three years now. If you want to go and take a look at that, I think you can go to drboycebookclub.com. Uh, that's drboycebookclub.com and get a discount uh, and get all the recordings. You get all of them and just have them and share them with your family, play them at church, whatever, whatever you want to do. It's totally up to you. And, uh, and, and I guess I'll see you all again soon. So have a good night. And uh, one more thing, too, uh, given that we're all investing, stuff like that. Uh, if you want to receive profit alerts or stocks that I'm interested in, stocks that I think might be worth taking a look at, uh, just text the word stock to 87948, text stock to 87948, and I'll send you the $5 a day investing plan so you can get started investing. If you haven't done that yet, you can also get the training on how to make money without working. You can also get lots of other freebies from the Black Business School. And we're doing actually a conference in the school uh, next week with Dr. Lene Javette, one of our faculty members. Uh, on basically how to set up your side hustle, how to set up your business or whatever, whether you want a business or a side hustle to make extra money, Dr. Javette is going to give you a step-by-step -step process. So it's going to be a weekend and uh, that's what she's going to do. So uh, everybody in the book club, we've arranged for you guys to get a discount. So text the word stock to 87948. I will send you all a discount code to uh, join uh, the, the Start Your Business Weekend. And I think the price is $299. Since you're in the book club, we can get you in for $49, but just for the first 100 people. So if that's of interest to you, and again, you can share this with your whole family, bring your whole family, we just pay for one person, you can bring everybody. And uh, this is our contribution to help you get where you want to get to. All right. So have a good day, everybody. And let's see here. Somebody says, I joined and I still haven't received access or text. Uh, if you have any issues, Stephanie... Uh, email support at theblackbusinessschool.com. That's support at theblackbusinessschool.com. Also, what I'll do is I'll leave this feed open for a second. Amani, I think Amani's still in here. Amani, say something in the chat. Let us know you're still here. She can make sure you're taken care of. Okay, so we have a great support team and we're always on top of anything that we have to do, we want to do to make you happy. There she is. There's Amani right there. So ask Amani your question and uh, I'm going to leave this Zoom open specifically so you can connect with Imani and ask her questions. So I'm going to leave it open for about five minutes. Come go grab me some barbecue chicken and, uh, and I will talk to you on, in fact, no, you know, I'm not going to be, eating no, I should, I'm going to eat chicken, but instead of eating chicken, I'll answer a couple questions if you want. And, uh, and that way you can go ahead and talk to Imani uh, in the chat. All right. So uh, let's see here. Uh, what do you think about the Romney mansion ticket? Asked Leroy. Um, I don't know. I got to look it up. <laughs>
I didn't know that they're running together. That would be an interesting. Isn't, isn't Manchin a Democrat and then Romney's a Republican? But Romney's like a Republican who's not really a Republican and Manchin's a Democrat who's not really a Democrat. Yeah, yeah. So that I, I think it'd be interesting. I mean, maybe it's what the country needs. I think the country wants people coming together. I think that there's a big chunk of the country that's tired of all the division. I know I am. I don't like it. I don't want to see people fighting and going at it like this. I don't, I don't like, you know, I don't like the idea of putting... Trump in prison just because I don't think you should be incarcerating your political enemies because they're going to turn right around and do it to Biden and his son. I mean, his son's a crackhead for God's sake. You know what I mean? So, so, you know, so then where does it stop? It just gets messier and messier. Our Congress gets less and less productive. So I, I'm not a fan of any of anything that I'm seeing. I don't have a lot of faith in the way our government's being run, but Hey, what can I say? All right. So uh, somebody told me I should just, I should go and eat my chicken. So uh, let me see. I'm going to answer this one question. I'm bouncing out of here. Uh, what was the text number and discount you just mentioned? Yeah. So Yvonne, uh, if you text the word stock to eight, seven, nine, four, eight, uh, somebody type that in. If you could, uh, 87948, text stock to 87948. I will send you a link where you can join us for Start Your Business Weekend. Uh, that's going to be next weekend with Dr. Lene Javet. And uh, and the regular fee is $299. Uh, the first 100 people can get it for 49 bucks. And on top of that, it could be buy one, get five free. So if you have four or five relatives in your family and you all want to join together, you can use the same membership and share that with your family. So that's the uh, best deal we could we could, we could could offer you because you're in the book club. Uh, Tamika, how early would you say we teach our children economics before they understand it fully, where they understand it fully? Well, you know what, Tamika, kids are not going to understand economics fully uh, when they're kids, but you can introduce them to ideas in a very basic way, right? So uh, the way I introduce economics to the kids is I just wait for them to become financially conscious. When they start realizing that they need money to buy stuff, that's when you, you can start talking about money. The preservation of money, right? Little things like savings. A four-year-old can understand what it means to hold on to your money. Like our 16-year-old, our she's actually the one who ships all of our books. She works in our family business. Um, and so like if you order one of my books at drboycebooks.com, like she's literally the one that's going to ship it to you. Well, when she was four years old, uh, she was crying and her mother asked her, she said, why are you crying? And she had counted her money and she said, I don't have plenty. And so she was showing her financial personality because she just had an anal, anal retentive, like, I want to hold on to my money. I want to have plenty of money. Right. Like like that, that rapper, I got plenty of money. Right. So so that was part of who she was. So that was the conversation there, whereas, you know, other kids may have a different financial personality. And so what, what I do is I just look for those opportunities to introduce them to financial concepts in a a non overbearing sort of way. So another little trick that I did um, that I think works is um, I was in line at Starbucks. And I said, you know, we can own shares in this company. We can be owners in this company like in two minutes. And they were like, how, how do you do that? I said, you want me to show you? They said, yeah. So we're sitting in line and I bought some Star Starbucks stock. And I showed them, I said, okay, now our family owns a piece of Starbucks. And that was pretty cool, right? So then that, that allows you to explain stocks and how stocks work and stuff like that. Um, other basic things. Everybody knows that being the owner is better than being the renter or being or being the boss is better than being the worker, uh, the, you know, in, in terms of empowerment. Right. So I think little just little messages like that. I knew a guy that was a millionaire who went to Ohio State. He was a millionaire by the age of 30. And I said, what made you become an entrepreneur? He said, well, my, my father used to always say any black man who wants to be free has to have his own business. 
And I said, well, did your father have his own business? He said, no, he never had his own business. He drove a truck. And I said, well, uh, how did you learn how to start your own business? He said, well, when I got to college and they asked me, what do you want to major in? I just remember what my father said, that every black man who wants to be free should have his own business. So I majored in entrepreneurship. See, a lot of times if you just the, the key, people don't understand that, that the what and the how pay attention. Now, this is important. I want you to really write this down if you want to. This is this is big. The what and the how is not as important as the why. The why, the why, it's like a rocket, right? The what and the how are like the engine in the rocket, but the why is the booster. The, you're, it's, it's the why you're, it's why you're doing something that gives you your sense of purpose. That's what makes you say, this is what I want. So if you know why you want something, you're going to figure out what to do and how to do it. Do you understand? So, so, so telling the kid you should learn to invest and they don't know why they're investing well, that's not going to work. They're not going to be motivated to do it. But if they know, wait, wait a minute, investing is important because I, I want to be free. I want to be happy. Then they're going to go and learn what they need to learn in order to be happy because everybody wants to be happy. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a little bit of a weird hippie kind of parent. You know, I, I'm the bonus dad of these kids and I love being their bonus dad. And I, and I have no problem telling everybody I, I, their father is a great guy and we, we coordinate and you know, raising the kids. And I, and I, I think it's a beautiful family situation and I just love it. And, uh, and, but I just say weird stuff to them. Like I, like when they say, well, what do you think I should do when I grow up? I say, well, I don't know. I just want you to be happy. You know, I want you to be happy, but I also know that be, I understand money really well. And I know money is important for happiness because money is a huge barrier to the happiness for a lot of people. So money may not buy you happiness, but money can at least give you the day off so you can spend the day meditating on the things that are going to make you happy. You can go pursue happiness and discover yourself because you ain't got to go and spend all your day, your whole entire day at a factory. That's it. So money just money blocks money clears the path like like in football you have the guy who runs the ball and then you have the guy who blocks for the guy who runs the ball without the guy blocking for him he can't run the ball he can't get to the end zone no matter how talented he is and go go ask coach prime that was his biggest problem they couldn't get the ball down the field cuz they had nobody blocking so so money blocks for you you know, when you are investing for your child, you're blocking for them. You're protecting them from all the things, all the poisons, all the toxins of this world that distract them from finding their purpose. And if you ever want to see a depressed person, if you ever want to see somebody who is sad and broken and, and just falling to pieces, go find a person who is not connected to their sense of purpose. A person who's not connected to their purpose has essentially lost their soul. They are a lost soul. And a lost soul shows up as a depressed person. And depressed people, well, they have to do stuff to feel better, like use drugs and become sex addicts and 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 do all and drink liquor until they go to sleep. Right? And and you don't want that for your kid. You don't want that for your grand grandkid. And you got time. You got time. You you got you got a whole lot of time. You got the three year old in your house, you got plenty of time to get the world to get them ready for the world. So start that investing. It doesn't take much. It's really easy to do. Really easy to do. I'm done talking. I hope that this um, was helpful to you. Um, thank you for hanging out with me. It's always a pleasure and an honor. And I am now officially going to go eat my chicken. So I love you guys. 
if you come into financial consciousness training tomorrow, we beat tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. And in uh, the book we're using is called 30 Days to Black Wealth and Power. You can get a copy. It's a workbook. Uh, you can get a copy at drboycebooks.com. And don't forget, use the code word book club and get 30% off anything in the store. All right. I'll see you guys later. Have a good night. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.